You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Church here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. So today's Bible reading will be taken from the book of Job, chapter 28, verses 1 to 28. Um, I'll be reading from the CSB version, and we'd encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles. Um, And as always, the words will also be displayed on the screen. Job, chapter 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the ground, and copper is smelted from ore. A miner puts an end to the darkness. He probes the deepest recesses for ore in a gloomy darkness. He cuts a shaft, far from human habitation, in places unknown to those who walk above ground, suspended far away from people. The miners swing back and forth. Food may come from from the earth, but below the surface, The earth is transformed as by fire. Its rocks are a source of lapis lazuli, containing flecks of gold. No bird of prey knows that path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts have never walked on it. No lion has ever prowled over it. The miner uses a flint tool and turns up ore from the root of the mountains. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes spot every treasure. He dams up the streams from flowing so that he may bring to light what is hidden. But where can wisdom be found and where is understanding located? No one can know its value since it cannot be found in the land of the living. The ocean depths say, it's not in me, while the sea declares, I don't have it. Gold cannot be exchanged for it and silver cannot be weighed out for its price. Wisdom cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir in precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Gold and glass do not compare with it, and articles of fine gold cannot be exchanged for it. Coral and quartz are not worth mentioning. The price of wisdom is beyond pearls. Topaz from Kush cannot compare with it, and it cannot be valued in pure gold. Where, then, does wisdom come from, and where is understanding located? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, we have heard news of it without ears, but God understands the way to wisdom and he knows its location. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and distributed the water by measure, when he ran a limit for the rain and a path for the lightning, he considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. He said to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn from evil is understanding. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the way that scripture begins with you speaking your word. And we thank you, Father, that as you spoke your word, 
over the emptiness and void of creation, things happened. New worlds came into existence. New things came into existence. And Father, we pray today that as we look at your word from another part of Scripture, that you might do the same things. That you might create in us new worlds, new hearts, new beings that will serve you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as you will be aware, the Old Testament is a distinctively Jewish book. The story it tells is a Jewish story. The law, laws it lays down are Jewish laws. The customs it talks about are Jewish customs. The nation it addresses is a Jewish nation. Uh, now, we know that the Old Testament in the Bible clearly speaks of the God of the whole earth, not just the Jewish God. However, you cannot help thinking most of the time that God is Jewish when you read the Old and New Testaments. Uh, for it's in this, his role as the God of the Jews that most of the Bible talks about God. It is as the God of the Jews that he comes to the forefront in most books of the Old Testament and, in fact, large parts of the New Testament as well. However, within the same Old Testament scriptures, there are some notable exceptions to this rule. So there are some books in the Old Testament that hardly mention Jews at all. There are some books where God is the creator of the whole earth and that comes to the forefront. In fact, the first 10 chapters or so of the Bible uh, is not about Jews. It really, it's really about the whole world, about everyone in the world. What's more, there are some books of the Bible where we don't even hear of the distinctive ideas and stories of the Jews. Parts of the Old Testament don't mention Jews at all. Other parts have no mention of Jewish distinctives, um, Jewish ideas, Jewish stories. Other parts have no mention of law and sacrifice and temples and prophets and priests and all that sort of stuff. Some Old Testament books even have contributions by people who aren't even Jews. Did you know that? Can you think of such books? What are they? Consider them for a moment. Think of what you know about the Bible. And the books that I'm talking about are these books. Think about it. Job. Proverbs. Ecclesiastes. And the love song, the Song of Solomon. They're not distinctively Jewish in any particular way, except that they're written in Hebrew, I suppose. Uh, these books, though, are called wisdom books because they are books that suit the whole world. Let me tell you just a little more about these books, these wisdom books. Um, let me tell you four things that distinguish them. The first is they are immensely practical books. And it's for that reason that I think we love reading these books. They are full of wise advice about how to live practically in the world. Uh, for example, they tell us how to manage our money, how to live with parents and spouses and children, how to do business, how to use goods, act toward our neighbour and all those sorts of very practical earthy things. Books like the book of Proverbs are full of timely bits of everyday advice. They're immensely practical, helpful books, these books. 
These books of the Bible tell us that a wise life is a practical life and an everyday life. Wise living is practical living. Second, these books are books about sensible living. You see, the wise people of the Old Testament had an aim in life, in their writing. Their aim was to try and understand what life was about by observing it. They were, if you like, early scientists. They observed the world and tried to work out what made it function. They tried to understand what life was about by observing it. And having observed it, they would say this, Oh, this is how life works. If you want to be happy in this world, if you want to be successful in life, then live life this way. This is the way to do it. So a wise life is a sensible life. Wise living is sensible living. Now, there is a third characteristic of wisdom literature, and it's a concern for right living. So not wise living necessarily, although I think wise living is right living as well. Um, The wise men and women of the Old Testament were interested in right behaviour. They were concerned about how do we live rightly in this world made by this God? They wanted to advise people on right living in the world with this God and with their neighbour. So they tell us clearly that a wise life is a right life. Wise living is right living. Now the final characteristic of the wise people of the Old Testament is that they were interested in godliness. That is, they wanted to make sure that people realised that the world was a created world and that there was a creator behind it. And living in the light of who that creator is and what he has done and what he likes is the right way to live in the world. Wise living is living in the light of the fact that there is a God and that he, is, he created the world and sustains the world. So a wise life is a godly life. Wise living is godly living. This then is the core of Old Testament wisdom literature, those special books in the Old Testament. It teaches you about practical, everyday living. Sensible living, right living, godly living, useful living. Great books they are. So there's the big picture of this wisdom literature. And I need to tell you this so you can understand the book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes, and all those other books. Uh, But particularly the book of Job. The book of Job is a wisdom book. It's fundamentally concerned with wisdom. And it even has one special passage that does nothing but focus on that whole question of wisdom. And that passage is the one we've just read. Critical, Job 28. Job 28 addresses the whole question of how to get wisdom and to live wisdom. So with that in mind, let's have a look at it together. Have it open. Uh, If you've got a Bible there, turn to Job 28 and follow with me. Now, the first section of our passage is found in verses 1 to 11. Um, They are great verses, full of of praise of human technical skill. Did you notice that? Now, in our day, we might focus on some some of the great human buildings or other things that humans have made in the world. But this ancient author, he focuses on the amazing process that humans use to mine precious metals. Remember, that's an ancient world he's talking about. He said, "Let me come, come with me, come with me. Let me show you something magic. The mining of minerals. 
Look, look at what he says, verse 1. It's a marvellous piece of poetry, isn't it? Just listen to it, feel it. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the ground, copper is smelted from ore. A miner puts an end to the darkness. He probes at the deepest recesses for ore in the gloomy darkness. Can you see the picture of a man perhaps going down on a rope or going into a cave and investigating, looking for something special? He cuts a shaft far from human habitation in places unknown to those who walk above the ground, suspended far away from people. Can you see him dangling on, feel him dangling on a, on a rope as it were as he goes down into the darkness and miners swing back and forth. Food may come from the earth, but below the surface the earth is transformed as by fire. Its rocks are a source of lapis lazuli, a great, min, a, 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 a great part of the earth that really stands out, containing flecks of gold, he says. No bird of prey knows that path. Can you see it? A miner. No bird's ever seen what this miner can see. Proud beasts have never walked on it. No lions ever prowled over it. The miner uses a flint tool. He turns up ore from the root of the mountains. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eyes spot every treasure. Can you see this? Here is a human investigating this world under the, the earth that no one else knows of. He dams up the streams from flowing so that he might bring light to what is hidden. It's a fantastic piece of poetry, let me tell you. Uh, but can you hear, can you see what the writer is saying? He's exalting human beings. He's painting them in words as ingenious creatures. They have knowledge. They have skill. They have an incredible resourcefulness. They go where no others go. They see what no others see. They, and they are truly greater than all creature, God's creatures. In fact, they are the pinnacle of creation. I bet you don't think of yourself as that. But that's what you are. The pinnacle of creation. And then in verse 12, there's a crunch that comes. Humans are all of these things. But can humans find wisdom? Can humans search out understanding? What do you think? Well, with that question uppermost in your mind, we're thrown into the next section of this hymn. And in verses 12 to 14, we're told that no matter how great humans are, no matter how they search the earth, they will never find wisdom. Wisdom is unable to be found in the structure of the world, of the universe. It cannot be found in the physical earth. But look at verses 12 to 14. Can you see it there? But where can wisdom be found? Or where can understanding be located? No one can know its value since it cannot be found in the land of the living. The ocean depths say, oh, no, it's not, me, not in me. The sea declares, I don't have it. Mortals may be ingenious. They may be ingenious enough to mine the deep places of the earth. But they cannot themselves find wisdom. Nor can they purchase it with money or even the products of human ingenuity. The point of this verse and the verses that follow is that even if wisdom could be found, it's inaccessible. It can't, 
you can't buy it. It doesn't come with mother's milk. Apart from the fact that no amount of money could be amassed that would be sufficient, wisdom is not a commodity that you can buy at the local corner store. Look at verses 15 to 19. Gold cannot be exchanged for it. Silver cannot be weighed out for its price. Wisdom cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir or precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Gold and glass don't compare to it. And articles of fine gold cannot be exchanged for it. Coral and quartz aren't even worth mentioning beside it. The price of wisdom is beyond pearls. Topaz and Kush cannot compare with it. It cannot be valued even with pure gold. So, so what are we going to do here? Here we've got this great thing about wisdom, but how do we get it? If these places that we've already mentioned don't contain wisdom, where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? That's the question posed. Look at verses 20 to 21. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is understanding located? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing and concealed from the birds of prey. Now, of course, if wisdom is hidden from those who are on earth, then there may be another solution, mightn't there? What might it be? Maybe death might bring us to it. Maybe in death, we might find an existence that allows us to view life in perspective. But our writer debunks that as well. Can you see it there? Look at verse 22. Abaddon and death say, oh, oh yeah, we've heard news of it. <laughs> but that's all. <laughs> so where can we find this unfathomable treasure of wisdom? This thing that if we had would set things right for us in our brains. Where does it come from? What's its source? To whom or where can we go to find it? Look at it and listen at verses 23 to 27. For it says, But God, but God understands the way to wisdom. He knows its location. He looks to the ends of the earth and gives everything under the heaven and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and distributed the water by measure, when he established a limit for the rain and the path for the lightning, he considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. The point is that God is the creator of all of the world. That's why we begin the way that we do in the Bible. He made the world. He knows how it began. He knows how it functions he knows how it will end. He knows wisdom. Why? Because he's the source. And that brings us then to our last question. Okay. If God is the creator, if God is the source of all wisdom, then how do we humans get hold of it? How do we access it? By what means is it accessible? How do humans become wise? Verse 28 gives the answer. Can you see it there? Look at it. It's an answer from God himself about this great mystery. He said to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. 
And to turn from evil is understanding. Do you see what, and understand what he's saying here? He's saying true wisdom, true understanding, and is this, is to realize that wisdom is actually the, the gift of God. A gift from God who created the world the way that it is created. In the end, being wise is simple. Even though it is extraordinarily difficult for humans to acknowledge and accept, it's not that difficult. Being wise is about recognizing your creator and your created status and accepting it. Can you hear that? The clue to wisdom is to understand who you are before the real God and that everything you have, everything you are, depends upon him. Being wise is about recognizing your creator and your created status and nature. It is to live as a created being. That is wisdom. To live in the light of the person who created this world that you live in. It's to live as a created being, to live realising that all of life stands under a creator. Being wise is about acknowledging God's existence and living life fearing and respecting him. It's putting him and yourself in proper perspective. Can you see that? Wisdom is to see life through God as creator and you as creature rather than you as the deity and him as the pawn. Wisdom is to live life through God in the light of him as creator and you as creature rather than the reverse. So there's this grand chapter in summary. Okay, it's great. There's much more in it than I've been able to tell you about. But there it is. What I'd like to do now in our remaining time together uh, this afternoon is to try travelling through the centuries and to see if we can get an even firmer grasp on this. Let's see if there's anything in Job 28 that will help us live as 21st century Christians, if you are. If not, look over our shoulders and let's see. I think there is, you see. I think there's plenty that's applicable to us. First, let's ask ourselves about the concept of wisdom itself. What is it? Well, Job and the rest of the Old Testament do spell it out for us. Wisdom is a way of life that is sensible. It's a way of life that is right. It is a way of life that is godly. And these things are the things we constantly search after. You, you see, we want to know, don't we, how to live rightly with each other and the world that we live in. We want to know, how do I live rightly if there is a God? How do I live rightly before him? Therefore, the concept of wisdom is eminently, I think, applicable to our existence now in the 21st century. It, it addresses the sorts of aspirations that we have. It offers us answers to the sorts of questions we are asking. Now, what else does Job tell us? Well, he tells us that this sort of wisdom cannot be bought with money. Sorry, those of you who are wealthy. No, you can't go to the corner store and buy it or anywhere else in this world. Human wealth cannot buy sensible living. Human wealth can't buy right living. All the money in the world cannot purchase godliness. 
You cannot go to Melbourne's largest and most glorious shopping plaza and buy it. It's not on sale. And it's not there in New York either, or in London. No, if you want a wisdom, save your money. It's not for sale, it can't be bought. And Job pushes on this. And he also comes to us in an age of information explosion. Can you hear that? This, these words travel even to today. He comes to us in, a, in an age of technological mastery. He comes to us in the middle of all our research and development that we do, and he says to us, the sort of wisdom you need, you cannot buy. It cannot be found by human research. You can't dig it up in Palestine or somewhere else. You can't deduce it from the world. Spending your life in research and development will not tell you how to live sensibly. You don't believe me? Look at some of the richest. Look at some of the most brilliant and find that they are not wise. Devotion to technology will not help you know how to live rightly with other people. Wisdom is not found by human research. There is no university course that offers a course in Wisdom 445 that works. Job 28, though, it doesn't leave us in the lurch. It helps us. Job 28 is brilliant in this way. It says you, you find it in God. That's where you find wisdom. You see, God, the creator of the world, the one who made the world as it is now, knows how to live sensibly in it. He made it in a particular way. God, the creator of people, knows how to live rightly with them. God, the creator of all humanity, knows how to live the godly life. Wisdom is hidden with God. Wisdom is actually a gift from him. And it's here that the New Testament comes to our aid. So we've dwelt in the Old Testament, okay? Let's now shift into the New Testament to see if we can find any further enlightenment. And it does. For what the New Testament does is it tells us that wisdom is not tucked away in a secret place as Job pictures it. No, no, it's not tucked away. The way to live a right, a sensible, a godly life is actually in the New Testament paraded before us. If we, if we read it rightly. It's out in the public domain. And it's found in the most unusual place. It's found in a man who was God. Who lived on this earth. God in the flesh. Who in his life, death, resurrection and ascension lived wisely. This man is wisdom incarnate. Wisdom in the flesh. Let me show you. I want to show you because it's there in the language of the New Testament. Have a look with me at Matthew 12. Now, it's Jesus himself speaking, and it's almost a throwaway statement from him. You could almost miss it if you were not watching out for it. But it's profound. Look at what Jesus says about himself in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. He speaks about, the visit of the Queen of Sheba to Solomon, the King of Israel, renowned for his wisdom in the ancient world. So this renowned queen visits this renowned king. And he 
And look at what Jesus says. He said, speaking of the renowned Queen of Sheba, he says, the Queen of the South will rise up with the judgment. Sorry, at the judgment of this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon to, and look. This is, what, this is what is being said here in Matthew 12. Something greater than Solomon is here. So this woman, she came across the known world of that time to visit, to find out what she could from Solomon. And what is being said here is, and she, whatever she found, was not enough, was not what could be found in the days of Jesus. Jesus is speaking, I think, of himself. I think he's pointing to himself. And he says that he himself is what could not even be found in Solomon. He is wisdom incarnate. Wisdom with flesh on it. And the Apostle Paul picks up the very same thing in his writings. I want you to flip now to Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. And I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I want your hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's profound. Given what I've said in the whole Old Testament, you can't find a place for it. All of a sudden, Jesus comes and you can. It's in him. In other words, the treasure looked for in Job is found where? In Jesus. In him, Jesus, is found the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now I want you to turn to the opening chapter of 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Look at how the apostle identifies Jesus. It's very striking in verse 24. Christians, no matter whether their background is Jewish or Gentile, know this truth. And this truth is this. Christ is the power of God and the, can you see it? Wisdom of God. Now flip down six verses to verse 30. And look at what Paul says here. He reminds us that because of, uh, because of God, those who are Christians are in Jesus Christ. And then he says of Jesus that Christ Jesus has become, can you see it? Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. Can you hear? It's profound when you have all that background behind you. In Job's day, Wisdom was found in fearing God, keeping his commandments. But since Jesus, in our day, wisdom is found elsewhere. In our day, wisdom is found in him, in Jesus, in his death, in his life, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in all that he is, in all that he has done, in all that he has accomplished. But let's go on just a bit further. Uh, let's ask what we asked in Job 28. If this is all that, that there is to it, then what do I do? What do I do? And Job, remember, answered clearly. He said, fear the Lord and shun evil. Fear the Lord and shun evil. The New Testament has a slightly different answer. 
It flows on from that. It's just as clear. In fact, it's probably clearer. It tells us that the true locus of wisdom is found in a person, in Jesus. And what you must do is believe in him. The beginning of wisdom is therefore found in believing in Jesus. In fact, it's more than that. Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is wisdom incarnate. He's wisdom with flesh on. <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting at? This is God's world. And if you want to know how to live sensibly in this world, if you want to know how to live rightly, if you want to know how to live a godly life before the God of all the earth, then believe in Jesus. Take a look at him. Examine his life and his death. See what he's done. Consider him, believe in him and reorient your life around him. Live life in the light of who he is and what he has done. That is God's answer as to how to be wise. Now, I started off telling you that wisdom is immensely practical. It tells you about how to live life in the everyday. Well, how does that work out in practice? What does it look like? Well, how to be wise? How are we to be wise every day? We should one. You probably thought this one out yourself, given what I've said so far. We should increase our understanding of Jesus. Increase our understanding of Jesus. Devote ourselves to getting to know him more. Spend more time talking to his father through him. Spend more time working out the implications of faith for everyday life. And that is why we do what we do here at Cross and Crown, let me tell you. We spend half an hour every week listening to the scripture, looking at the scriptures together. Why? Because we know that's how we'll be able to live rightly in our world, in his world. We at Cross and Crown teach the scriptures which reveal Jesus and then we draw out their implications, don't we? We encourage each other, grow in your knowledge and understanding of this, of Jesus. We encourage each other to move that information from our heads to our heart, to our hands. We work with God in making faith in Christ Jesus filter down to every practical area of life. Sensible living, right living, godly living. Friends, can you, you see what I'm saying? I'm saying, what, what is true wisdom? It's to say, what is, who is God? What is he like? I know him fundamentally in Jesus. Now, what's that going to do for me tomorrow? When I face my boss. When I face my children. When I face my driving. And so on and so forth. You see... What we do is we turn our knowledge of Jesus into practical, sensible, right and godly living in God's world. We say, what does God tell me about living in his world? I'm going to change what I do today. I'm no longer going to do it the way I used to. I'm now going to do it the way that reflects who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. This is how you were designed by God to live. We're, so then we say, and if that's the case, then that will change everything. So friends, I want to ask you today, 
you want to be wise? Start in the right place. Believe in Jesus, for here's the clue to God's work in God's world. Don't start with science. Start with Jesus. Science is good, but it needs to be subsumed under the knowledge of what God has done in Jesus. So will you live wisely? Then live in the light of the knowledge of Jesus. Love Jesus. All that he is, all that he has done. That is what God made you for. That's what God made you for. And do you know what? That's true wisdom. Eternity will be filled with wise people. That is, believers in Jesus who oriented their lives around him. That is what wisdom is. To live in the light of who God is. And that's to live in the light of what's revealed about him in Jesus. That's true wisdom. And it will issue in true living before God in God's world and true practical living. That's why, do you, do you recognise what happens in all the epistles? Nearly all the epistles of the Apostle Paul, for example, can you remember the shape of them? Paul spells out the doctrine and he says, if you believe that, do this. <laughs> this action flows from this action. Do it. And you'll be wise. That's the right way to live in the world. <laughs> That's the way that pleases God. It will issue in true living before God in God's world. And let me tell you the most important thing. It will prepare you not only for life here. It will prepare you for eternity. It will prepare you for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this grand passage in Job 28 about wisdom. And Father, we thank you that right at the end there, he tells us that the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn from evil is understanding. Father God, we believe in Jesus. Therefore, we believe in wisdom incarnate. And that is the fear of you. Please help us every day to turn from evil. For that is true understanding. And that is what you want. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.